0: You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. A little while ago, I started a a mini-series called Primary Identity, and um the thrust of that of that series was that our primary identity is as a son with a heavenly father, and uh, I, I'm, we, we had such an incredible morning, man. Just loved the sense of the presence of God, and loved welcoming these newlyweds back and honouring Jack and Lorna. Just just an incredible morning already, and um, but I'm gonna just try to. Burn through some notes here and land where I want to land would be more important than me getting halfway. So I plan to do a little bit of revision, but we're not gonna be able to do that. So catch up online if you can. Both of those sermons are recorded. The the, the point is this that, that God the Father chose to reveal himself in his omniscience, all knowledge, knowing all things. God the Father chose to reveal himself primarily as a father. Yeah? Says over Adam, you are my son. Says over Israel, you are my son. Malachi 3 verse 6, I think it is somewhere around there, trying to rush through this real quick, says something around this, that he's come to turn the hearts of the fathers back towards their sons. And then Malachi ends. There's 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the first time we hear God speak in the New Testament, he speaks again as a father over Jesus saying, this is my son. Right? So this primary identity with God, our father, as a father, and then choosing to reveal his love and his mercy and his grace through a second primary identity, Jesus Christ, a son. Are you doing okay? Okay. And so when we understand the breadth of these things and the depths of these revelations, we've got to say there's got to be something that is still weighty enough in our day for us to dig a little bit deeper into it. Does that make sense? So that's where we are, primary identity. We said this, that if my identity as a son is not enough, nothing will ever be enough. And that's always what leads us to this place of comparison and competition and uh, inferiority and I can't play the guitar like him, and I can't worship like him, and I can't preach like him, and I'm not skinny like her, and I'm not, and it's like, it's all of these things that somehow I'm never enough, and if being a son is not enough, then I never will be enough. We will never get unconditional love in a world system that is designed around conditional love. At school, you're as good as your grades, or which team you play on. At work, you're as good as the numbers that you run or what you can produce for your company. All of those things, they're all based on conditions. But our sonship before God the Father is not based on a condition. It's not based on anything I can do. It's based on what Jesus did for me on the cross. Are you doing okay? Romans 8, if we get there, says this. His spirit, big S, his spirit testifies with my spirit, little s, and by that spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father, and we are made sons of God. We received, listen very carefully to that word, we received sonship. Okay, if I can earn it, I can lose it. Do, do you hear me say that again? Because I feel like I only got about one or two of you. No, this, is an important, this is an important point here. If I can earn it, I can lose it. Right? If I can do something to achieve my salvation, I can lose my salvation. If I can do something to achieve sonship, I can be a bad enough son to become an unson. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm trying to make a point. Right? But the Bible says by His Spirit, speaking over our spirit, we receive this thing of sonship. And by that spirit, we cry to our Father, Abba Father. That's it's an incredible thing. It's an absolutely incredible thing. Okay, so here we go. Okay. Okay, we're three pages into my notes. The scripture tells us that there were two main purposes for Jesus to accomplish. The first, absolutely, was to pay the penalty for our sin and to ensure that we could be forgiven. The second primary identity for Jesus coming to the earth, or primary reason for Jesus coming to the earth, is to reveal God is our Father and to make it understood that we are members of His family. Jesus makes this statement in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, except through me. If you really knew me, you would know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. His disciples asking the question, show us the Father. And in John 14, verse 9, he says this, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been amongst you for such a long time? Listen carefully now. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How? can you say? Show us the Father. Now let me tell you, Jesus is breaking something in here. Right? He's breaking something in. The disciples must have been absolutely shocked, out of their brains, when Jesus spoke like this. For this reason, the Bible that the disciples had was the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was very explicit. If you see God, you will die. Nobody can see God and live. You see God, you die. And now Jesus is standing in front of them saying, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're like, are we going to die? What is going on here? It's such a revolutionary, such a a flipping over of everything that has been known about how man relates to God. It's a complete reworking. It's a complete revolution of any kind of concept that they had. Up until that point, they related to God on the basis of the old covenant. Do this, do that. Wash this, don't wash that. Wear this, don't wear that. That's how they related to God. And then Jesus comes and he says, actually, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You can know the Father. They related to God as some kind of transcendent, beyond knowledge or beyond human ability to experience. That's how they related to God. And then Jesus comes down, walks amongst them, and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Flips the script absolutely and completely. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Hebrews 1 verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Some... Scholars would tell us that's a weak translation. There, that a more accurate translation would say this: But in the last days, he has spoken to us in a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the radiance of God's glory. When Moses prayed in the Old Testament and asked God, Show me your glory. God responded, nobody can see my glory and live. But this is what I'll do for you. I'll hide you in the cleft of a rock. I'll hide you in this cave. And as I go by, I'll just cover the mouth of the cave. And my glory will pass by you. But you still cannot see my glory. But now Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father and his glory. And he's standing in front of them. They must have been quaking in their boots. They must have been quaking in their boots. Under the Old Testament, under everything that they knew of how to relate to God, what Jesus had just told them was a death sentence. Can you imagine the shock and the horror on their faces? Jesus changed all the rules. And he didn't just start it there. I love that text in, in, in Luke 2 and verse 39 where uh, Mary and Joseph are at, uh, in Jerusalem. They're at the census and they leave. And it says they lost Jesus. I lost Blaze one time. We, we, the church that we were at had a, had a campus, and we lived about 30 minutes away from the campus, and Sandy and I took two cars to, to church, and she needed to leave early for something, and she took the rest of the kids and left Blaze with me. And I was about halfway home, and Sandy called, and she said, You do have Blaze with you, right? And I said, of course I do. (laughs) I said, I've got to go. I've got another call coming in. Spun that car around in the canyon, went back. (laughs) Picked up blaze. He was completely oblivious of it. He didn't know a thing. And I don't think I've ever told Sandy that story until right now. (laughs) Happy Father's, Day, yeah. Happy Father's Day, Happy Father's Day. Thanks a lot. Fortunately, it is Father's Day. Fortunately, it is Father's Day. So, but then when they found Jesus, it's interesting. We don't have time to go look at that verse, but you've got to look at the language. Mary says to Jesus, your father and I have been looking for you. So who is she talking about? Joseph, right? But Jesus' answer is, "Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house?" And right there, at age twelve, he's saying, "Wait a minute! There's, there's going to be a distinction here, and I'm going to change something for how you understand who I am and whose I am." Yeah. Are you doing okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, when we, when we adopted two kids, Shaune, who's twenty-five now, I guess, maybe twenty-five. And she she was one time, she was crying with Sandy, I want my mom. And my kids are looking at her like, you are holding your mom and crying, I want my mom. What is going on? Our kids were quite a bit younger. And you can imagine the confusion when Jesus tells Joseph, his father, and Mary, I was in my father's house. And Joseph's going, no, you're confused because I'm your father and that's not my house. And so Jesus from this early age all through his adulthood just flips the script and flips the script and flips the script and says God is not this transcendent being that we cannot know, that we cannot experience. God is our Father. What an incredible truth for us in our day, friends. What an incredible truth for us. Up until that time, the Jews related to God on the basis of what they needed or what they believed he could do for them. If they had a need, they called him Jehovah Jireh, our provider. If they were anxious, they called him Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. If they were afraid, they would call him Jehovah Shama, the Lord is here. If they needed leadership or direction, they would call him Jehovah Rahi, the Lord is our shepherd. If they were sick, he was Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. And then Jesus stands in front of the disciples and says, When you pray, forget all of that stuff. When you pray, pray like this Our Father. Jesus referred to my Father 53 times, our Father 21 times, and your Father 21 times in the Gospels. As we go back through Scripture, we see pictures of fathers that show us and tell us and foreshadow what God the Father is going to be like for us. Genesis 22, we see a faithful, faithful, obedient father in Abraham. In Luke 15, we see the gracious, loving, forgiving, waiting father. Jesus comes full of grace and full of truth, representing the father at every level. So when he's with a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery and dragged out in the street... That probably means she was dragged out in the street naked. caught in the act of adultery, dragged out into the street. And the crowd trying to trap Jesus. Trying to say, you know the law. You know she has to be stoned. And Jesus simply bends down and writes something in the sand. And one by one, her accusers drift off. One by one, they disappear. The law is in place. But Jesus is coming and saying there's a different way to relate to God our Father. When he's with the Samaritan woman and she puts up all of these roadblocks in front of him. All of these roadblocks. How can you be talking to me? You're a man and I'm a woman. Cultural roadblock. They weren't even supposed to talk to each other. In those days, a husband and wife could not talk to each other in public. And she said, how can you be talking to me? And he just disarms it. And then he says, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. She says, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Racial. And he just disarms it. And then she tries to throw up all these religious roadblocks. Are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus disarms it. And he's just trying to say everything that we knew about relating to God, everything that we perceived, all this religious rubbish, all this all this. Religious stuff and cultural and all of this stuff, none of it matters. Why not? Because I've come to pay the penalty for your sin and to return you to your heavenly father. Yes. My, 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 that's good news for us this morning, friends. That is good, good news for us this morning. It's good news. Jesus never turned down. Love Chris. I love what Chris always comes and throws out the net for us, and it's a a beautiful thing. I love the fact that he can never leave it there. He will always throw out the net. Anybody want to get saved? Maybe, maybe not. I had my eyes closed. That's what he asked me to do. I don't know if anybody put their hands up this morning. Maybe somebody gets saved. Maybe somebody doesn't. He'll never leave it there. Then he'll pray for us to have the grace to go and tell our friends and family about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of the Father, and that's what Jesus demonstrates time and time and time again. And this is how Jesus demonstrated it. There is no recorded uh, uh, instance where Jesus turned down an invitation to go and hang out with people, a social engagement. And he hung out with sinners, and he hung out with tax collectors, and he hung out with prostitutes. Basically, he hung out with people that would not dare show face in most churches in our day. That's where Jesus spent his time demonstrating the heart of the Father for lost, hurt, broken people. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? This is what the Father's like. He'll be with you in your pain. You want to know what the Father's like? He will walk alongside you. He will be there. He'll be there at your weakest moment and your strongest moment. He'll be there at your worst moment and your best moment. Your Father will be there. So there's some things that this does for us. Identity, we've spoken about that. I'm going to skip over that for real. Quick, our primary identity is is as sons of God. The second thing knowing our Heavenly Father does for us gives us incredible value. Gives us value. First thing, identity. Second thing, value. It's called the Saul syndrome. Saul was larger than life. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders above anybody else in Israel. Larger than life. But the Bible also tells us that he was small in his own eyes. Small in his own eyes. Of little value in his own eyes. And sometimes we get there. Sometimes we get there by what people say over us, by what people have, how we've grown up, the relationship we had with our dad, with our school, uh, with our teachers, whatever it is. And they diminish and diminish and diminish and sooner sooner or later we start to own that identity. I'll never be enough or I'm this, or I'm that, in a negative sense. We become small in our own eyes. But God the Father speaks incredible value over us. I had a friend of mine led a large church in South Africa, probably a 1,000 people. Suffered with anxiety and depression. His father had committed suicide when he was 12 years old. And he said to me after a meeting one time, he, came, he said, can you pray for me? I said, sure, bud. And he came, and he spoke through tears, and he said this, why did my father not love me enough to try again? He said, what, what did I do wrong? He was 12 years old when his dad committed suicide. What a burden for a 12-year-old to bear. What, what did I do wrong? Why was I not enough? Why was I not valuable Enough for him to try again. And I was able to speak some of these things over him. Some of the value that God saw in him. Not because he was a pastor, not because he preached to thousands every Sunday, but because he was loved and valued by his heavenly Father. 1 John 3 verse 1 says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. An incredible value. Number three, a future. Number three, a future. I'm, I'm convinced of this. I've told you the story before. I got saved at 25, and, and, and I'm telling you, at the age of 25, there was not one redeemable quality about me. I wasn't kind, I wasn't gentle, I wasn't sober. I wasn't anything. There was not one redeemable quality in me, not one. You often hear people say, "If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be friends." I'm telling you, if it wasn't for Jesus, none of you would ever want to be 100 miles away from. Do you know what I'm saying? But, but but what does God do? God looks past what is, and he speaks to what can be. He looks past what is, and he speaks to what will be. And then he calls that thing out. So I got saved in this little church, weird little church. There was a bunch of weirdness in this church. Every day and every Sunday, it was weird. But that's the church I got saved in. And so this lady comes, this prophetic lady, and she wasn't weird. She was an acknowledged prophet in the nation at the time. And she comes. I've been saved probably about two or three weeks, and I'm sitting kind of with this gentleman sitting here. And she goes like this. You, young man. She says, God is going to use you to lead many churches. In fact, you're going to travel to nations with the gospel, and you're going to start many churches. And I'm like, okay, chicks, seriously, your <laughs> antenna's dialed into the wrong station. <laughs> I'm just trying to find my way to this church every Sunday. And you tell me all this stuff. But what does God do? God sees past that. I've been saved for weeks. Am I still struggling to work some of that stuff out? Absolutely. But God looks past that stuff, sees a future, and calls that future out. If we give our ear to our Heavenly Father, He will tell us about the future. We We don't need to have a fear about the future. We do not need to have a fear about the future. I feel like God's speaking to some of you right there. Just receive that. Just receive. Anxiety, depression, struggle with some of these things, always worried about the future, always worried what's going to happen. Just allow your Father to speak over you now, friends. Just right now, just receive where you are. Just receive. That's it. That's it. Just allow God to lift that off. Lift that off. Right now. That's it. Some of you are receiving right where you're sitting. That's it. Just receive. Just receive. That's it. More and more. Now God to speak of your future. Now God to speak over what he sees in you, what he wants to call out of you. God looks past what is and speaks to what can be and what will be. Speaks over Gideon, a great man of valor, while he's hiding in fear a great man of valor just receive just receive Father I ask that you deal with fear in your sons this morning even now as I've asked people to receive some are fearful to receive what you have for them Would you just come gently by your spirit Father Would you just lift fear? Would you lift fear, Lord? Would you just speak value, Father? Would you speak future? Would you call out identity? Would you just come, as that scripture said, you lavish your love on us, Lord? Just do that now, Father, in Jesus' name. Anxiety and depression to go now in Jesus' name. Anxiety and depression. Fear of what your future is going to look like. Fear for your kids. Fear over your kids. Just let it go. Put it in the Father's hands right now. Put it in the Father's hands right now. The five things I wanted to talk about this morning. Identity, value, a future, security, and inheritance. We need a land. What an incredible pattern for us to follow as earthly fathers. Eh? What an incredible pattern for us to follow. Impossible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the thing: we fostered those two kids in South Africa. Is that is that a good word in America? We fostered. Is that right? Did I say it all right? Fostered. How did I say it? We fostered these two kids in South Africa, Pascal and Shanae, who we eventually adopted when we moved to America. And they were with us for years. In fact, Shaunay came back from the hospital when she was born. Shaunay came from the hospital to our house. And their, their, their parents had left them and abandoned them. And these two kids arrived with us, Shaunay, days old. Pascal, four years old, I think. Four years old. And... Uh, they, they were with us for six years. Six years they were with us, lived in our house, lived as our kids, treated them and loved them as our kids. Just short of six years. And because we were only fostering them, when the door opened for us to move to America, we couldn't bring them with us. Parents wouldn't sign for adoption. Adoption. And my buddy who rewrote the family act after apartheid in South Africa, he said we can do what's called a contested adoption. And we prayed about that and we're like, okay, we could contest and with the fact that these kids have lived with us for six years, we probably would win the contested adoption, but people are going to hate us. And so at that, at that time, so Shanae then is five and a half, I guess. Pascal, nine and a half, ten 10 years old. We had to sit down with those two kids and tell them we're going to America and you can't come with us. And the challenge for me was this, was one set of parents had left them for sex, drugs and rock and roll, you know what I'm saying, over sin issues. One set of parents had left them over sin issues and now another set of parents was leaving them for the sake of the gospel. How do you explain that? to a five-year-old. The time came for us to say goodbye to them. I had a word from the Lord. I felt God say this. I'll return these kids to you. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, the, the absolute hardest thing I've ever done in my life is leave two kids behind. They went back into the foster system. We didn't have any say in where they could go, who they went to. They went back into the system. And the last night that I said goodbye to them, we sat in our bed in the bedroom and I prayed for them. And I put my arms around them. And I said this, I don't know if I'll ever see you again. But I know this, I'll never give up on you. I don't know if I'll ever see you again. But I'll never stop loving you. I don't know if I'll ever see you again but I will never stop praying for you. in that moment, God spoke a word to me. And he said this. He said, I'm a better father than you, whether you're in the room or not. And it gave me such a peace. Just the settling in in my heart and in my mind that as much as God was my father, I've had many important things happen to me in my life. Marrying this beauty 28 years ago, adopting kids, having two kids, those are important days, but the most important day, the day that defines everything that I am and everything I will be into the future is the day that I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ and God became my father. The most important day. How you live that out will tell more about you than anything else. And as I sat there with these kids, and they were crying and we were crying, and God said this, "I am a better father than you, whether you're in the room or not." it settled something in me that God was their father, and He would undertake for them.. We left, We came to America. They came out for a vacation. In the summer and they went back home and my parents and Sandy's parents were there when they reconnected with their parents although they were divorced and split up that was the first time they reconnected with their parents and Pascal my son got off the airplane hugged everybody and he said this he said I want you to know I've got a father and mother in America waiting for me He said I've got two little brothers blue and blaze in America Waiting for me. And he said to his parents, You need to do what you have to do to get me to America. And so we could have gone through that contested adoption and everybody would have hated us. But that little boy got off the airplane, made that speech, and they called us and said, Would you consider adopting these kids? And we said, Yeah, well, well let's think about it. No, we didn't. Like, Absolutely. The paperwork started. We flew them back. We were in the process of our green cards application. And I knew this, that if I told the lawyer, if I told the lawyer, he would say, okay, you've got to wait until your green card, you've got to wait until your green card, and then we can do that. And I, didn't, I knew I could not wait one more minute to be reconciled to my, to my kids. So I said, bring them. And when they landed, I called the lawyer and I said, oh, by the way, I've adopted two kids. And he absolutely lost his marbles. Yeah, we got to do this. we got to do that. And I said, listen, but last time I checked, you weren't doing me any favors. I'm paying you thousands of dollars. Make it work. See, there's no price a father won't pay to be reconciled to his children. There's no price our father, our heavenly father, did not pay to make sure that he could be reconciled with his sons and daughters. Let's stand. I want to be a good father. I believe it's one of my highest callings is to parent these kids. I want to be a good father, and people say stuff to me. "TK, you're a good dad," and I always say it's too soon to tell. Because when you see how these kids treat their wives and how they raise their kids, then we can have a conversation about whether I was a good father or not. Until that time, too soon to tell. But I know this 100%, 100% with absolute clarity and certainty, I'm not a perfect father. But I know this with 100% clarity and accuracy, I'm in partnership with a perfect father. And where I lack, he will make up. And one of my primary functions as a father is not to hold my kids' hands, but to make sure I put their hands in the hands of their heavenly father. Because he is a better father than me, whether I'm in the room or not. We connect our kids with their heavenly father. I love that thing. Age of 12, 13, 14 in the Jewish culture, they start to treat men, they start to treat boys as men. From that age, I started to tell my kids God's got no grandchildren. God's got no grandchildren. You're not a believer because I'm a believer. You're not saved because I'm saved. You're going to have to find your own way to God, son. And up until this age, you can blame me for all your stuff. I'm like this because my dad messed me up. Absolutely. But once you get to that age, and once I can put your hand in the hand of your heavenly father, you've got to work out your stuff with your heavenly father. I'm not a perfect father, but I'm in partnership with a perfect father. I want to encourage messaging for us on Father's Day. I don't have to be perfect. I'm so glad I don't have to be perfect. I'm so glad perfection is not the goal or the standard. Because Jesus is the goal and the standard. And he said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the exact representation of the Father, the exact representation of his glory. Let's point our kids towards Jesus, dads. It's our best thing we can do for them. Point them towards Jesus. Their hand in the hand of their heavenly Father. Father I pray for the dads in this room. I pray for courage, Father. for courage to not hold on so tight. for courage to let go a little bit. for courage not to control and manipulate and direct too much, but simply to direct towards their Heavenly Father. I pray for courage and anointing and wisdom and grace on the dads in this room. Pray for your anointing and grace and mercy and love to fill the families that make up this family called Redemption City Church pray for you this morning, my friends. If you need to reconnect with your Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take some time this week to do it. Take some time this week just to say, Lord, by your Spirit, big S, would your big S Spirit speak to my little spirit that I can receive, receive the Spirit of Sonship again, that I can lift my heart and my hands and my eyes towards heaven and by your spirit Lord cry Abba Father my dad my father, my dad we love you Lord thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did through Jesus showing us who you are and reconciling us to yourself in Jesus name Amen Amen, God bless you